17. Oh my God, we almost have our driver's. No, we're past our driver's license now. We're like a year in. Yay. I didn't think about that for the last episode. Shit. Oh, so we 16. God dang it. God damn it. We gotta fucking record that shit. That last episode was a hot mess. What the fuck was wrong with me? I really like the jazz you put into the, 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 like the actual script that you were not script, but like the, the book report that you made, like it was great. I don't know what was wrong with me. I really would like to record 16. Um, I just want to apologize to everyone. Why? I don't know. I feel like I was on the hot mass express. It was great. I was on board. So we were both on it together. Oh, At least you had a friend. <laughs> Lord have mercy. If you couldn't tell, I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And this is See You Next Tuesday podcast. Where we talk about... Shit. True crime. <laughs> Lots of murder. Yeah. We're on moms right now. Yes. We're, we're talking about moms who murder. Um... Good times. Yeah, I, I don't know. Oldies. My mind just went like, all of a sudden my mind was just like this blank slate of <laughs> nothingness. I'm still on that hot mess express apparently. Well, it was a crazy fucking story because it was like, all of this is like the worst crime committed. And that's what I do. I don't know how you find these people, to be honest. I was like, damn, how'd you even find her? I'm not going to tell you. I know you're not. I know you're not. Even though we're looking at for the same type of people, you're not going to like give me the insight. I've told you like three times. Is it Reddit? No, yeah. I'm not a millennial. <laughs> is, is Reddit a millennial thing? Is it? A, so I didn't I'm know. I'm actually wondering that now. I didn't know what Reddit was. And then you would talk about Reddit. And then my children are on Reddit all the time. Yeah, okay. So it's not millennial. And then so... I have the Reddit app on my phone. Right. But I still don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay, so let me break down for you this way. Think about the culmination of the internet, right? And how broad it is and how crazy it is. There's all this shit, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be great if we all could categorize it based on your interests? I just Google what I want. Yeah, but imagine a place where not only do people Google what they want, there's a community built around that specific Google search to where then they provide you more information beyond the Google, i.e., hey, check out this unsolved mystery. Holy shit, that's crazy. Oh my God, that was my uncle. And here's the real story. Or, oh my God, did you check out? And then you have these people who, think about all those people who solve those those true, those crimes on the internet. That's like what Reddit essentially is. Oh, it's these like that people. Netflix show about the cat? Uh, yeah, essentially, essentially. That's right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. No, that's a great Netflix show. I had to fast forward through the cat parts. I could not watch that shit. I could not watch that shit. What the fuck was the name of that? Uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah. And fuck that motherfucker. (laughs) God, I hate that kid so much. He is a piece of trash. I said it. I do not care. Like, what's that kid's name? You know what? I'm not even going to say his fucking name. Fuck that guy. He's an asshole. And the fact that his mom was... No, honey. He is a bad person. I'm sorry. You don't want to believe that he's a bad person. Has nothing to do with you. He's just a bad person. God, what was the name of that kid? I don't... I have no fucking idea. He... But it's just so infuriating. I've had so many things happen since then. I've had that. Then we had 
Tiger King, there have been so many hot mess expressions. You know, so apparently Tiger King is looking for love, like legit. Like he's on the, like one of the apps or some shit. Or, or From he's looking, prison? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know his husband filed for divorce. He was still married to one of them while he's in yes. jail? Yes. In fact, that. his husband got pulled over in the same city where in Texas he did seriously uh-huh what the fuck well I guess it's, it's not that far of a stress Oklahoma I don't know why I feel like Tiger King happened in Florida every time I see that fucking photo well, of him it feels Florida to me well um what was the girl Tiger King's name what what girl, Tiger King? In the show. Oh. Fucking, who? fucking. Carol Baskins. Yeah, she's in Florida. Oh, maybe that that's That bitch, why. Carol. She's just as guilty. Fuck that bitch. She murdered her husband. Yes, she she mm-hmm. totally fed her husband to the fucking tigers. And honestly, even if she didn't do that, which she did, like, her whole sanctuary is the exact same mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. that he was doing. She just labeled it as a sanctuary. Like, she's saving... Yeah, whatever, girl. At us, Carol. You For fed real. your husband to the tiger. 100%. All you gonna get from me is my computer. Why do you think her other husband is more than willing to take stupid-ass photos with her? Because he knows he's he, gonna get fed to the tiger. Thank you. Exactly. 100%. So, you know what? I do have a little bone to pick with you. What? Yes. What happened? And it's kind of also funny. Okay. Because you didn't notice either. So, you know at dinner how I have that red um, tank top on? Yeah. So, I wore that to work today. Uh Uh-huh. And neither you noticed, or if you did, you didn't say anything, or any of my coworkers noticed that you could completely see my black bra through my shirt. You cannot. No, no, no. You could because I went to the bathroom at work today. And not only could you see my black bra underneath, you could completely see the lace design completely through my shirt. Well, if anything, I would have told my coworkers, you're welcome. <laughs> I, you could not tell. You totally could. No way. Well, in the lighting that we were at, we were in like outside natural lighting. I couldn't see shit. Well, I went to the bathroom at work and I was like... Oh, let me just close my cardigan over my boobs. (laughs) You know what? Mm. F (laughs) them. I don't know why I'm I'm like limiting my cussing there. Fuck (laughs) them. I was like, I want to see if uh, Jess notices at dinner. Uh uh. Nope. Didn't notice for shit. I legit like it was just it was just a red top. Like I could not see. Was I supposed to be looking? Do you want me to look at your boobs? No. I was just like, I'm just going to see if she notices. Because nobody said anything at work. And I went to the bathroom. I'm like, holy fuck balls. Is the bathroom fluorescent lighting versus in the office? It's all fucking fluorescent. Is it a different angle? I don't know. Is it one of those things where you notice because, you know, we notice things about ourselves? I don't know. Mm. If they didn't notice, who cares? Or they liked it, so they just didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Or they're like, well, I'm a black bra today, huh? Well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Make sure that happens again. <laughs> I, 
I hope she wears that outfit again on Monday. <laughs> all your male cohorts are like, hey, yeah, so um, Amanda. They're like all hanging around your desk. You're like, what's going on? You do know my business is 90% males. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, hey, again, you're welcome. <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> it is fun Friday. Wait, no, wait. So was it like... Did you know? No, you wouldn't have known. Like, could you tell at home? Um, no. I, like, put my clothes on. Yeah. And then I, like, looked in the mirror to make sure, like, there was, like, no fat rolls hanging out, but I didn't pay that much attention because I was trying to get the kid to school. Right. And the dog's outside, and then the cat had vomited, so I had to clean up the cat vomit. Natural cat shit. Yeah. You know, and so it was like not like doing your thing. Full inspection. Got it, got it, got it. Otherwise, you'd be like, ugh. Honestly, you know what though? I'm gonna say this, and there's actually a test run, and I remember seeing it, and I was like, what? Was it black or was it red? Oh, it was red. So you know how we wear like nude bras under like white tops and stuff? Because I mean, hello. Um, We're red. Believe it or not, like you can't tell. It's red. Like, look it up online. There's, like, this whole thing about, like, if you wear a red bra, no matter what your skin tone, under, like, a white top or things that you would normally be like, oh, my God, you cannot tell. It's the same as wearing a nude bra. It's weird. It's weird. It's like a thing. Well, it was black under red, so I was like... Well, there you go. Like, if it was black under white, I'm sure you'd been like, oh, yeah, you're fine. Anywho. Anywho. So, what are my... What's my penance? You have to finish those jelly beans. Why do I have to finish the jelly beans? Because have you not seen me sitting here shoving them down my face? They're fine. That's why I got them for you. No. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to have them. It's to enjoy them. Yeah. Tell me about your... Are you ready to hear about my murder? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Have you ever heard of a person called Catherine Knight before? Um... Have you? I actually think I have. Have you? Okay. I, I think I have. No, tell me. Tell me what you know better. I'm not quite sure. Let's get started and I'll tell you if it rings a bell. Uh-huh. Okay. First off, I'm just going to say fucking shit potholes and trigger warnings galore. We're going to abbreviate shit potholes as SPs. Holy shit. From here on out, if you are not into crazy, intense stuff, do not listen to this episode. I'm just going to say the whole episode because <laughs> as I was going through this, I was like, I knew her story, but I was still like, oh, okay. That's intense. So heads up. Um, besides that, here are my sources, Murderpedia, of course, um, a seven news Australia article, ABC news, all that's interesting. Wiki psychology today, wiki BPD and, um, a book called bloodstain. No, I did not read the book cause you had to buy it, but Hey, it exists. If you want to read it, I was about to be impressed that you read a book. That sounds bad. <laughs> I read books, just... No, 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 I know you read. I know it's what you just, meant. <laughs> you always give me a hard time because I always read books. I know, I don't give you a hard time. I'm just super impressed you can read books so quickly. I cannot read books that quickly. I'm just like, oh, fuck, it's been three weeks, you know, and I'm still on the same book. Four weeks, a year. I love to read. Where do you find the time? At night before bed. For how long? How do you long do you read? Can you get through like, like a whole, like hundred pages in like thirty minutes? 
I don't know. Sometimes I'll sit on the couch and read all day on Saturday. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good time. That's kind of my vibe, too. Damn. I'm just impressed. Teach me. Remember those speed reading uh, fucking infomercials? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Where they'd have these people with their hands, and they'd be going back and forth, like, super quick, or their fingers. That was mm-hmm. such a lie. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Do you think it worked? I mean, no. not, not the finger part, but, like, do you think it actually did teach you? No. Did you try it? No. Have you tried it? Okay. No. Do you know anybody who did? No. I just think it's bullshit. Why? You don't think you can, like, learn to speed read? I don't think that you're actually reading and absorbing the stuff. That's true. It's more just like skimming information. See, and that's the thing. And I think that's maybe why it takes me longer is like, I feel the need sometimes to go back and reread and go, wait, what? You know, and like reread a paragraph or my mind has wandered completely. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? But anyway, I digress. Let's get into Catherine Knight. Okay. Catherine Knight, heads up was the first Australian woman to be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. So let's get into it. Catherine was born, and her middle name is Mary, um, October 24th, 1955. She's a Scorpio. I had to look it up. (laughs) Um, And for all you Scorpios out there, sorry, you're associated with her. Um, Remember on the serial killer list, there was no cancers? Wasn't there? Mm Mm-mm. Now I looked, I was like, ooh, who's mine? Because I was kind of like doing the whole bingo thing. And I'm like, oh shit, there's no cancers on here. Okay. Um, so let's start with her dysfunctional family first. Because I mean, what's a fucking murderer without a dysfunctional family? I mean, they all have dysfunctional fam- yep. families. Her case, they were um, a mainly poor working class family, which no, that does not a murderer make, nor does it make you a bad person. Um, again, this is just a statement of fact as to her early years. Her mom was Barbara Thorley, and she married Jack Ruffman. Yes, that's his name. And they lived in the small town of Aberdeen in New South Wales's Hunter Valley in Australia. Yep, we're back in Australia. My Australia series prevails. And for those who don't know, Aberdeen is a small town, and the, really the biggest thing there are slaughterhouses, and that's where most everybody works. So, I mean, that's a pretty easy thing for my head to equate. Yep, small town, there's one big thing or one big company where everybody works and everybody knows everybody and, you know, it's that. It's that whole, like, everybody's in each other's business and they all, like, have either, you know, known each other through school or through work or through church. You know, like, that's the whole community vibe we have going on here. Um... So Barbara and Jack had four sons together. And then Barbara decided, hey, fuck you, man. I'm going to start stepping out. Of course she did. Yeah. So Catherine's mom, Barbara, stepped out on Jack with a friend and co-worker named Ken Knight. And of course, this being a small town, it caused a giant scandal. So they were forced to move to Moree. So none of those four boys from the OG marriage went with them. None of them. Two stayed with their dad and two were raised by an aunt in Sydney. So now Barbara and her new man, Ken, yes, Barbie and Ken, yup, that's, that's it. That's literally Barbie and Ken had four more kids. Oh, Jesus. Why? 
Why? <laughs> no. Eight. This woman had eight children at this point. Oh, no. Yeah, no. yeah. Including twin girls born in 1955, one of them being Catherine. So oh, she was a set of twins? Oh, she was a twin. Yep. Did she eat her twin? <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> Although, it, you know, honestly, it actually surprises me that she didn't. And you'll find out why later. Um, after the Barbara's Barbies, OG husband Jack died, the two boys he'd been taking care of at the time moved back in with her and Ken. So now there's six kids oh, up in this mercy. house. Yeah. So get ready for a shocker. Ken Knight was a piece of shit. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, right? He openly used violence and intimidation to... And I'm going to say this again. Shit pothole trigger warning. Please skip past. He used to rape his wife, Barbara, up to 10 times a day. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Horrific. So how did her mom react to this? You're thinking, oh, my God, she's going to get out of the situation. She's going to take her kids. She's going to get, fuck you, motherfucker. No, she's not. She didn't. She actually reacted the complete opposite way by telling her daughters that the intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and hated men. Oh, why did she do that? I don't know. Again, we're in the 50s, and I am going to just, again, this is my opinion, the go along to get along. You're married. you got to stick with the guy. I don't know. I don't know. This seems completely dysfunctional to me, though. Completely dysfunctional. I mean, obviously there's some sort of codependency there. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So Catherine is being brought up in this toxic environment. All right. So later when Catherine complained to her mom that one of her partners wanted her to take part in a, in a sex act that she did not want to be a part of, Barbara told her to, and I'm quoting, put up with it and stop complaining. Oh, Barbara, no. Yeah. Healthy. Healthy reactions. Yeah. So, Catherine claims she was frequently sexually assaulted by several members of her family, not her father, and she claims this continued until she was 11. Although there are doubts about the details, psychiatrists actually accepted her claims, and the events have largely been confirmed by members of her family. So, not only was she learning about sex in a very violent way, she also had this, unfortunately, happen to her, and it's its just all... We're, we're just making a soup here. We're making a soup. A murderer soup. <sighs> yeah. No bueno. Yeah. So Catherine's mom, Barbara's... Okay, this is where it gets... I have to, like, reel back here. Catherine's mom, Barbara, her great-grandma, was an indigenous Australian from Marie... Um, who had married an Irishman, okay? So Barbara, her mom, was super proud of this and identified as Aboriginal. And because of this as well, there was a lot of racism at the time. And so they kept this a family secret, but one of those things that they kind of were like proud of, but they didn't want to tell anybody. Um, but this secret also became another part of the dysfunction in that it was a source of tension with the kids and their already troubled family life. You know, like, we have to keep this secret, we're technically aboriginal, and there's all this shit, and mom's, like, saying this stuff to people that is wildly inappropriate, especially at that age. 
And then we're poor and we're just trying to make ends meet. And then my dad is over here doing horrific things to my mom. So your whole life is built around drama. And you're used to it. You assume that's the norm. Yeah. That's kind of like your status quo. Yeah. So, I mean, the likelihood of you growing up and being pretty normal is... Slim to none. Pretty much. At this point. Yeah. So she's not being set up very well for a good, good life. Um, shockingly, Catherine wasn't close to many people, besides her twin sister and her uncle, Ken's brother, Oscar Knight. And when Oscar committed suicide in 1969, when she was 14, um, she was devastated. And to this day, she says that his ghost visits her. So I'm actually assuming, I'm going to just say that's the bright spot here in her life, was Oscar may have been actually kind of a friend to her and mm-hmm. tried to guide her and be an act, like a dad or male figure. Yeah, like a positive. Exactly. And so it was like a really... hard thing for her to take is like this one person is gone now you know it's really really sad um so that same year in 1969 they moved from marie back to aberdeen i'm assuming that the rumors have kind of slowed down at that point her mom's kind of like eh, f it you know yeah whatever um she was Catherine was still a loner at muswell brook high school and she became a bully she assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and was once injured by a teacher who was subsequently found to have acted in self-defense, which, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Someone coming at you with a weapon. Yeah, you're going to defend yourself. Sorry. Yeah, no matter what age that child is. Despite all of this, which is, this is I found very interesting. She actually did well in school. She was a model student and even got awards for good behavior. So it seems like there's like this duality to her. Like there's this like want to be kind of a, like that, a model student, good at school, like kind of get out of the situation. But like because of how she was raised, she's kind of wired for wired for sound, you know, wired to be the opposite. Yeah. Well, and school may have been her only escape from the craziness. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It could have been like a refuge. And so she may have brought some with her. But it also was like, oh, this is a little bit more chill and like back than what I'm used to, which is constant like turmoil and crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, she did, however, despite all of this, leave school at 15 years old and didn't learn to read or write. She instead decided to start working her first job as a cutter in a clothing factory. A year later, at 16, she started what she's calling her dream job, in her words, at the slaughterhouse in Aberdeen. There she was quickly promoted to boning and was given her own set of butcher's knives. At home, the knives were hung over her bed. So they, and I'm quoting, would always be handy if I needed them. And this is a habit she continued everywhere she lived. That's so disturbing. Talk about the Adams family, right? Like when, remember Adams family values when they had those like knives hanging over the bed, the as a mobile yeah yeah I don't even what if you walked into someone's house and that was straight up over their bed I'd be like I'm out <laughs> fucking out Fuck. what if okay so what if you like got you really good friends with somebody at work right like really good friends mm-hmm. like they're super cool one of the best people you know mm-hmm. 
go over you're like hey come over to my house we have dinner great cool and then you go and then, hey where's the bathroom and you have to pass by their room same situation would you be like yeah fuck this i'm out i may finish dinner because i'm terrified <laughs> that they're going to um skin me and wear my face as their face so it's more of like a, I just want to like mitigate a potential disaster here. So I'm just going to pretend like I'm totally fine with it. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to get through dinner and I'm going to safely get out the house before I end all contact. Yeah. Well, then what happens? Like, so you go to work the next day and they're like, hey, man, how's it going? Are you just like, mm. Yes. But see, wouldn't that like enrage them more? Wouldn't you think that they would bring those butcher knives up to the, to work and be like, yeah, no, you can't reject me, you know? I work in a locked room. They can't get to me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I'll give you that one. You won. <laughs> yeah, come at me. Come at me. So this is the vibe, okay? This is Catherine, right? So she's, um, you know who she reminds me of? Uh. Um, so she reminds me of Gigi on Shaw's A Sunset. Oh, you don't watch my, tra- my trashy reality show. Show me a photo of her. Show well, me a photo of Gigi and I'm going to show you a photo of Catherine Knight. Well, I don't know if they look alike. I'm just saying like the knives because Gigi has knives and she gives them names. What? She collects knives and gives them names. I don't remember her knives names. Um, but she also has a taser that she named Crispy. That's hilarious. Is it like protection though? Self-protection? She just collects them. Oh. Huh. Are they nice knives? Are they like like scimitars and shit like that? I don't fucking know. (laughs) Oh, why you look that up? Oh. Oh God, she's gorgeous. Isn't she? And that photo, yeah. Is that her too? Because yeah. that's a bad photo. This is a yeah. good photo. Yeah. Contour. Oh yeah, contour, baby. Your friend. Contour's your friend. Um, and this is Catherine. This is what Catherine looks like. Hey oh. She does not look like Gigi. No. <laughs> not at all. Direct opposite. <laughs> yes, but I'm just saying like the whole knife situation. Yeah. Well, like I know people that collect like swords and shit. Is but it the do same they idea? name them? No. JJ names them. Okay, yeah, that's a little weird. Is she married? So I went and started, I had caught um, bits and pieces, like episodes here and there. So then I went and started the whole series at episode one on Hulu. So I don't know. I'm okay. only on like season two. All I'm saying is whoever's dating her or married to her, you had better be on some good behavior. That's all I'm going to say. Anyone who names the knives that they are, like, collecting, you had better be fucking... I was just impressed that she named her taser Crispy. That's a great name. Isn't it? Crispy. I like it. I wouldn't name it Sparky, personally. But Crispy's good. Because mm-hmm. it also creates this, like, visual that you're like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, on that note, let's get into Catherine's marriages. Yes, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I mean, hey, uh, marriages. Yeah, let's get into that. Okay. Marriages. Z-z-z. With a Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So think of like a hardworking, hard partying lady who is an unhealthy view of sex in men because of her upbringing, 
And let's get into the men she's going to marry. I bet they are going to be such gentlemen and great. Get ready. First up, David Kellett. Okay. They met at work in 1973 when she was 18. He was a hard drinking, like her dad, Ken. I thought you were going to say hard working. Well, you know. Sure. A hard drinking guy who saw some crazy shit in his previous work at a rail yard. Now this I will say, yes. It was said that his best friend was killed in front of him in a railway accident, and then he saw a train hit a school bus that uh, killed three kids. He, you know what? He gets a hard, he gets a hard pass. He gets a pass on the drinking. He gets a hard pass. Yep. He eventually lost his job because of the drinking, and he ended up at the slaughterhouse. So, I mean, again, hard pass. Who among us? Hard pass. Yeah. You get a freebie. Damn. So after they started dating, dating, um, if David got into a fight with anyone, Catherine would be there as a backup to fist fight with him. This is this right. If she's a ride or die bitch, okay? But don't cross her. Don't fucking cross this bitch. Okay? She would physically threaten anyone who upset her. And this must have lit Dave's fire because they got married in 1974 and arrived at the ceremony on her motorcycle with him drunk at the fucking handlebars. Yeah, so he's driving her motorcycle into their wedding ceremony, drunk as shit, and she's on the back. And that's how they arrived to their wedding in 1974. Awesome, right? I love that for them. Could you, could you imagine that in 74, the hair, and just like the whole look? I'm feeling like, just go. Just okay. Go. Please just go. So her mom, Barbara, gave David some advice at their wedding. And this is David quoting her mom. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her, cheating on her. She'll fucking kill you. And that is David quoting her mother. Then David said... And that's her mother talking. She told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. And that's on the day of their wedding. So again, you know, day of your wedding, you're like, eh, mom's just salty. You know? But at the same time, wouldn't you as a dude be kind of like, wait, what? What are you talking about? I mean, he was drunk. If he had been sober, he might would have been like, eh, I might not want to go through with this. Yeah. I mean, hey, we've all been young and dumb. And made stupid choices. But holy crap, what an endorsement from mom, right? Like, thanks, mom. I mean, I thought it was bad when my mom told my husband before he married me, um, she's high maintenance. You might want to rethink this. Oh, wow. That is so shitty. And over the years, she may have said, I warned you. Wow. We're not going to even start to unpack that because I have many, many thoughts and opinions about. Let's talk about <clears throat> Catherine. Yeah. Well, th good things can't last, sadly. And on their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle David. She later explained it was because he fell asleep only after having intercourse three times. And damn it, that's not enough. Because according to her mom and dad, they rutted around for four or five times on their wedding night. I mean, how dare you be tired? 
But yet again, he should be thankful he was only being strangled. Yeah, no shit. So, according to Catherine, that was unacceptable, clearly. Mm-hmm. Another time, guess what? She's pregnant. A very pregnant Catherine burned all of his clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan simply because he had arrived home late from a darts competition after reaching the finals. Unlike the Looney Tunes, however, David had a fractured skull and fled the house to a neighbor's where they took him to the hospital. Police wanted to charge her, but she actually talked David into dropping the charges. Of course she did. Mm-hmm. Now remember, she was pregnant and she gave birth to their first kid, Melissa Ann, in 76. And not surprising, David left her for another woman, moved to Queensland, and was pretty much done with all her bullshit and abuse. So that May in 76, Catherine was seen pushing her new baby down the main street, violently throwing the stroller from side to side. And people saw this, and she was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks recovering. Thank God. Thank you, people. Thank you. So she that. was better. So she got better. Oh, yeah, 100%. In a story? We're yeah, done. ready? You go. Okay. So I have. Just kidding. Oh. Yeah, no, this, this, sorry. Got a whole other hour of this. I'm kidding. So she was released and then placed Melissa, her daughter, on railroad tracks, silent movie style. Yeah. She then got an axe and went into town threatening to kill random people. A man in the town, in the district is known as Old Ted, he was like a, he was a homeless man in the area, unhoused person, who was foraging near the railway line, found and rescued Melissa by all accounts, minutes before the fucking train passed. This is Catherine. Please tell me they didn't give Melissa back. You're going to tell me they gave her back. Well, she was arrested and again taken to St. Elmo's Hospital, but apparently she recovered and signed herself out the following day. A few days later, I actually don't know what happened to Melissa, but I, I'm hoping that she... What happened to mental health court? Why is she not going to mental oh health court? This is the 70s. This is the 70s. Mental health court was recent. We're in the 2000s. Yeah, I know. A few days later after this incident, Catherine slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives. Again, she has those butcher knives just hanging out. And demanded she drive this, this woman, drive her to Queensland to find David. Because she's like, I need to find my man's. The woman escaped after they stopped at a service station, but by the time police arrived, Catherine had taken a young boy hostage at this point and was threatening him with the knife. She was disarmed, and then police attacked her with brooms, and she was admitted to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. There's, there it is. They're eventually like, yeah, no, we're done. Stop. Rewind. Yeah. You said she was ta- attacking a boy with a knife. Yeah. And the police only attacked her with brooms. Yes. I, dude, I don't know. I know. I read that and I was like, wait, what? I'm sorry. What? I, hey man, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm, I'm assuming they're trying to deescalate as to why they didn't like whip out the big guns. But I'm also not sure about the history of guns in Australia. I know that they don't have like any automatic weapons anymore. 
right? After kids got killed in the 90s, they were like, yeah, no more of this bullshit. But, like, besides that, I'm not sure. Okay. I know. I was Let's like, continue. What? The point is they subdued her and they got her into a psychiatric hospital. Thank God. Catherine told the nurses that she intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he had repaired David's car, which allowed him to leave. So she's doing all this to, to basically drive to David and then kill the guy who fixed his car who allowed him to leave. This is her logic. This is where she's tracking. That makes total sense to me. Does that really? Are you being sarcastic? Sarcastic. <laughs> you even got me on that one. Sarcastic. Because I was like, I mean, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, it make. I guess it. It makes sense in a way, but it doesn't make. No. But it doesn't. Yeah. Um. And then her then intention was both to kill, you know, obviously David and his mom. When police informed David of the incident, he left his girlfriend and moved to Aberdeen to support, oh, sorry, moved to Aberdeen with his mom. So he took his mom with him to support Catherine whenever he found out that she was in a psychiatric hospital. I don't know if the police told him all that other shit, like, hey, this woman's trying to kill you. If he did know that and then still moved, what I mean, okay, I, I guess he's trying to be the good guy here and like, hey, you're going through a hard time, I'm here to support you, I don't know. Maybe he felt like if he moved there to quote unquote support her, he thought she wouldn't come after him and kill him. Maybe. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know. So Catherine was released, released in August, on August 9th of 76 into the care of her mother-in-law. And she and David then moved to Ipswich, south of Brisbane, where she got a job at Dinmore Meat Processing Plant. They then had another daughter in 1983, Natasha Marie, as if shit couldn't get bad enough. Let's just throw another kid into the mix. They hired her at another meat processing plant with more knives after she got out of the mental hospital? She's good at it. She's actually good at it. That's one thing that everyone said is like, she could, she fucking nailed that shit. But they don't need to put knives in her hands. I don't know. This time, Catherine left David in 1984 after the kid was born and moved back to her parents' house in Aberdeen to a rented house, excuse me, not to Aberdeen, a rented house near Muswellbrook. She again went back to the slaughterhouse, then injured her back, and then went on disability pension. And the government at the time gave her a housing commission house in Aberdeen. So she kind of had this roundabout way. Here I'm back in Aberdeen. Now I have this house that's being paid for by the government because I have a disability, because I got hurt at work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So because she left his ass, she found another David, David Saunders. Oh. So I'm going to call him Saunders because I did David in the first one. So it's yeah. just easier. Okay. okay. They met in 86 when she was 31, and he soon moved in with her and her two daughters. So her. Her game must have been really good at the onset. You know, like, hey, I'm super chill. I'm super cool. I like to fight. I like to drink. I like to have sex. So guys are like, hell yeah, man. I'm into all that. Let's do it, you know? Fair enough. Cool. So he's he moves in with her and her two daughters. Yes, Melissa went back to her. Two daughters. There's your answer. I know. I'm sorry. I know. 
I'm sorry. If, if, if you put a kid on a fucking railroad track, you do not get that baby back. I'm sorry. You and do not you get should that get the second one taken away. Thank you. No, that just is personal not feelings, acceptable. Personal feelings. Yeah. Agreed. Personal feelings. Catherine soon became jealous of what he did when she was not around. So that's it. That's the whole thing. What he did when she was not around. She's just jealous of that. Um, she would often throw him out of the house. She would follow him around, even killed his dingo puppy. Excuse me. In front of him. A dingo ate my baby. Yeah. She killed his dingo puppy in front of him. It could have eaten her baby. And then knocked him out with a frying pan as an example of, hey, if you cheat on me, this is going to happen to you. So yeah, the frying pan is very much a thing for her, apparently. Again, too many Looney Tunes. Too, too many... <laughs> I just I, I oh it gets crazier we're we're actually ramping up to something I know I know I told you again SPs it's gonna get worse it's gonna get worse y'all again and not a crazy I literally wrote this again not enough crazy happening for her so they decided to have a kid in June of 1988 Sarah and and Saunders was like okay time to get a house for us all which great yeah. Yay. Three kids, five people in a house, for sure. Catherine decorated the house with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. Oh, so it's super kid-friendly. Super kid-friendly. Toddler-proof. Yes. Baby-proof. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. She did the works. Babies love animal traps. Uh-huh. No space, including the ceilings, were left uncovered. Babies love it. Yeah. Who doesn't love to, like, run into a rusty pitchfork in the middle of the night as you're going to get a glass of water? I mean, babies love tetanus. Yeah, I did. I never had tetanus, but I'm just saying that as, like, we're doing a bit. So, yeah. So they're living their best lives, including many physical arguments, naturally, including one where she hit him in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with scissors. Again, very normal Catherine behavior, you know? This, I mean, that's, that's, again, normal fight for this woman. <laughs> this is a normal fight. Just <laughs> keep talking. So he, uh, Saunders left her ass after this, but then stupidly came back, finding all his clothes cut up, I'm assuming with the scissors that she stabbed him with. Probably. She probably didn't even clean them off Oh, first. no. Why would she? So he decided to go into hiding, and that's a smart move. That's a real... Did he take his baby? No. She did try to find him, but no one, none of his friends would give him up. So, hell yeah. That's a good... Kudos. Yep. He eventually came back to see his daughter, to your point, because he really wanted to see Sarah, and Catherine played the oh, this guy is going to hurt me card with the cops. And they, I stupidly issued an apprehended violence order, essentially like a restraining order against him. Of course they did. Because it's always the man. Yeah. Not this woman who literally stabbed him in the stomach and hit him in the face with an iron. Okay. So yeah, he's out of the picture and he's like, yeah, no, I'm over the, all of this. I mean, like, I love my daughter, but I can't. She has her, you know? 
So then there's a little bit of overlap between guys three and four. John Chillingsworth and John Price. So we got, and now two Davids, two Johns. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm going to call one Chillingsworth and one John. Okay, so guy number three is Chillingsworth. They met in 97. She was 42. Where else? The slaughterhouse where she met all her man. And as per usual, she got pregnant and had a boy named Eric. They lasted three years before she officially left him for John Price. John Price, okay. Her and John are the same age, both born in 55. He had three children of his own when they started dating from a previous marriage that ended in 88. He was said to be a terrific bloke, like by everybody who knew him, really good guy. And Catherine's violent behavior preceded her and John had heard about her before. And then decided to move into her house. I, I was about to say, why, why is he dating her if I he's heard about her? don't know. So he moved into her house in 95. She's 40. Now granted, remember, Chillingworth happened in 97. So, motherfucker, John Price is living in her house while she's over here side-piecing with John Chillingworth for three years. And... John Chillingsworth and her had a kid named Eric, okay, while John Price is living in her home. So did she tell John Price that it was his? This I do not know. But again, nothing that she's doing is like tracking towards reasonable behavior. So who knows? Probably not. I'm going to say probably not. I think her and Betty Lou were friends. Oh, God, maybe. So, it, believe it or not, John Price's children children actually liked her. Um, I and don't believe it. Uh, yeah, apparently she was, I don't know, I think that she was one of those people that could turn it on and off. Like, being, you know, kind of an acceptable member of society when she wanted to, and then, but there's this piece of her that just when it snapped, it snapped. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe that was it. Um um, John Price was making a lot of money working in the local mines, and apart from violent arguments, things were at first relatively normal, you know? So he's like, okay, cool, you know, got this lady, got my kids here, everything's good. She actually wanted to get married to John in 98. Now, again, this is after the other John. Mm-hmm. And Price and her fought about this. So she decided to retaliate by videotaping items he had allegedly stolen from work. And really what happened is they were thrown out in the trash, like shit from work. And he was like, oh, this is good stuff. Like, I'm going to just assume like a videotape player and like a whatever else. Right, right. right. And he's like, yeah, this is already in the trash. I'm just going to take it. You know, no harm, no foul. So, but no, Catherine, that wasn't enough. She videotaped it, sent that shit, uh, the videotape to his boss so he would get fired. And that's exactly what happened. He had worked at that job for 17 years, and she got him fired. Of course she did, because she's a cunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you don't know by now. <laughs> we, we haven't named a cunt. We didn't name a cunt in the last episode. Well, I mean, obviously Kelly, but... Yeah, I think it's been a while since we straight up named a cunt. Yeah, this one, I mean, hello. Here we are. So obviously John is pissed, and he kicked her out of his house, so she went back to her home. Right? So again, this is the government home that she's gotten paid for. News about what she did spread throughout Aberdeen, 
And they were, I mean, obviously everyone was like, wait, what the hell? I mean, that's just something you do not do. Again, close-knit community. Yeah. Your job is your life because you don't have much money. This is everything. This is how you support yourself. I mean, shit. Yeah. How dare you, you know? Um, he did eventually forgive her, but he did not let her move back into his place. And then the fighting started again. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah. So now we're at February 2000. They're fighting, and Catherine straight up stabs John in the chest. He finally kicks her out of his house after this for good. And on February 29th, he gets a restraining order. Because he's like, now we're done. Finally. No. Finally, someone goes to the cops about her. Yep, goes to the cops, stands up to her. That same afternoon, he tells his new co-workers that if he does not come into work the next day, it would be because she had murdered him. They told him not to go home to her. Straight up, they're like, look, man. We love you. Don't do it. <laughs> if you're saying this to us, why the hell would yeah, you go back there? Exactly. John said he had to because he she would kill his kids if he did not. So he's like rocking a hard place. He's trying right, to like right, right. do the whole like, let me just smooth this over and then I'll get out. Right? Like, let's just try to make it work. I mean, you would think he would just take his kids and go somewhere else. I would think so, too. Like, maybe whenever she's at work or something, just grab his shit and get out with the kids. I mean, don't even get your shit. Just get your kids and go. True. Yeah. Save yourself. Yeah. I don't know. So, again, February 29th, 2000. John came home that day, and Catherine had sent the kids off to a sleepover at a friend's house. He left to hang out with the neighbors because, you know, fuck being alone with her. And then he came home, went to bed around 11 that night. That was John's day, okay? Here's Catherine's day. That day she went and bought black lingerie and videotaped her children while making comments that have since been interpreted as basically like a last will and testament Mm -hmm. on a videotape. She then got into John's house while he was sleeping after 11 p.m., watched TV before taking a shower. She then woke him up, they had sex, presumably with the new lingerie and then he fell back to sleep okay all right next day march 1st because again this is the 28th you know yeah 6 a.m one of the neighbors was concerned that john's car was still in the driveway because like he should be at work and he noticed that he wasn't co-workers noticed he wasn't at work as well and hello based on what he said the day before his boss was like hey somebody go check on him please somebody goes to um and his house with the neighbor because they're both concerned and they both start knocking on the bedroom window um and then they walked around to the front door and they saw blood and they're like oh shit so they called the cops immediately they're like oh my god please don't let this be real shit potholes get ready police were there by 8 a.m and they broke in through the back door of his house when they got inside this is what they found Placed on the kitchen table were steaks and veggies on plates with notes for each of his kids with their names on them. On the stove was a head in a pot with veggies and broth. In the living room was a human body with their legs crossed and one arm over a soft drink bottle. And hanging from a beam was John's skin in that she had skinned him. And yes, the steaks on the table were human. So uh, she planned on feeding John 
to his children. Yeah. Fucking crazy shit, man. One of the cops that ran into the skin uh, was never right again and stopped being a police officer. Uh, yeah, you think? Yeah. After that, you kind of go, okay, I'm done. We're yeah. good now. Yeah. I, I, I loved this job. It was, it was great while it lasted. I'm done skis. Take this pension. I'm going to take this pension. I'm going to go live my life out away from everybody, every uh, fucking I'm gonna person. I'm going to go to New Zealand now. And yeah. <laughs> I'm going to... Um, Bow the fuck out. Bye. I'm going to raise sheep. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be a tribesman. Man. Is that what so, they were called? Uh, Maori? Oh, tribesman. You want to be a, a motorcycle gang? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, their name's cooler. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, uh, Catherine, when they found her in this house, no, she did not flee. She was out cold after taking a large number of pills. And here is what the blood evidence showed as to what happened that night between 11 and then 6 a.m. the next morning, or 8, when I should say, when the cops got there. John woke up after Catherine started stabbing him, and he tried to escape through the front door. Thus, blood on the front door. He tried to get outside, but wasn't able to either because he was dragged, loss of blood, whatever. And he was stabbed 37 times. She then, after she stabbed him, went into Aberdeen, took out $1,000 from John's bank account via an ATM. She then dressed him like she used to with animals. So, and I'm saying dressed as in, that's what you, the name for yeah, when yeah, you dress yeah, yeah. an animal, if nobody knows that. Um, essentially what we just heard. And wrote a note saying, quoting, and this is exactly what it said. Time got you back, John Nathan with an O, for rapping my daughter, raping my daughter, you to Beck, John's daughter, for Ross, for little John, his son, now play with little John's dick, John Price. I don't understand any of that. None of that makes fucking sense. Yeah, I'm assuming the pills have kicked in a little bit. I well, don't know. remember she couldn't read or write, too. True, very true. Very good point. So, I mean, even still, it doesn't make any any sense. Like, like what is she trying to say here? I mean, I get the, the raping her daughter thing, but like, for Ross, for little John, now play with little John's dick, John Price. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. She was in a state. Let's put it that way. And so now here we are up to the current moment where she's passed out in the house this is what happened that night. And then obviously all the stuff that happened afterwards. She went to the hospital for her OD on pills and they pumped her stomach and got her back up and running. And while she was recovering, told the police that she had no knowledge of what happened that night saying the last time I recall was, I don't know about your dates, but I went inside and watched a bit of TV. Yep, of course, she didn't have anything to do with that. She didn't know what happened. No, super crazy. Came home, decided, you know, now's my chance to kill myself. And then I and then I woke up here and wait, what happened to John? Yeah. Psychiatrists that assessed her didn't believe this claim. Yeah, no shit. Um, so now let's get to the trial, because, I mean, that's pretty fucking cut and dry at this yeah. point. Talk about a fucking slam dunk. Prosecution's probably like, hell yeah, okay, this is an easy one, you know? Yeah. They started with manslaughter, I know, I was like, wait, what? But then that was obviously rejected, 
and she was arranged on March 2nd, uh, 2001, on the charge of murder, which of course she pled not guilty, because why wouldn't she? I mean, that's, I mean, she didn't do it. No. Some random Dahmer fairy or Ed Gein fairy came up in her house mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. magically did all these things. Mm-hmm. They're spirits. Yes. Her trial started on October 15th, 2001, when she was 46. And because of the gruesome crime scene, the judge had to draft jurors and have others in reserve in case people had to, like, bounce. Because, you know, it's intense. Yeah. And unfortunately, in cases, you have to show that shit. You have to say, okay, here's this, you know, and people might be like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. So, luckily, she eventually changed her plea to guilty. And the jury was dismissed. Thank God. I mean, that was a small justice, considering. The judge then ordered a psychiatric assessment to see if she understood what she was admitting to with her guilty plea and the consequences. Her defense team were planning the amnesia, dissociation defense, even though they knew she was totally sane. But again, that's her job, you know. The psychiatrist eventually diagnosed her with BPD or borderline personality disorder which is characterized by a long-term pattern of unstable interpersonal relationships, check, distorted sense of self, check, and strong emotional reactions, check. So, agreed. Yes. Yeah. No reason has actually ever been given for the guilty plea. Because I was curious myself, like, who convinced her? What changed her mind? Was it the defense team? Did the wind blow from the east instead (laughs) of the west? Who knows? Point is, she was like, yeah, I did it. Despite giving a, a guilty plea, she still refused to accept responsibility for her actions, however. At sentencing, her lawyers requested that she be excused to avoid hearing the facts of the case, to which, what? She did them. And the judge refused because he's like, no. No, she asked, she needs to hear the facts of the case, considering she did them. When Catherine heard about everything that happened, decapitation, etc., she allegedly became hysterical and had to be sedated. Oh, of course she did. She she didn't know that had happened because mm-hmm. she was blacked out. Yeah. On November 8th, the judge noted that her lack of remorse required a severe sentence and he gave her life and refused to set a parole period and even marked on her paperwork to never be released. This is the first time this was done for a woman in Australian history. Speaking about John, the judge said the last minutes of his life must have been a time of abject terror for him as they were a time of utter enjoyment for her. And I completely agree. This judge was smart and spot on. So now, this is 2001. Uh, five years later, in 2006, she appealed her life sentence, claiming that uh, her sentence was too severe for uh, what she did. Of course she did. Oh, yeah. Too severe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's, like, a skinned human who would uh, disagree with you yeah, on, on that. F- the fuck it is. Yeah. Uh, the new judge dismissed that, because no. In 2016, Hollywood announced that it would be making a movie of her life, which still seems to be in production, by the way, because I couldn't find anything else. Um, A true crime book was written by Peter Lawler called Bloodstain, if you guys ever want to read it. It was written in 2002, like literally right after the case. And FYI, Catherine is still 
in prison to this day and is still alive. She's 66 years old. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Only knowing she's only 66, I was like, really? I feel like she should be like 80. Wow. Right? I know it feels weird. So not much is known about her kids, and to be honest, let's leave them the hell alone. But her, but John's daughter Rosemary was shocked when she learned that an AFN film, AFN film, uh, wanted to turn her dad's death into a film called The Speckled Hen, and it's called that because that was John's nickname for Catherine, because she had red hair and freckles. Yeah, it's it's an interesting nickname. Rosemary John's daughter said, "I'm just." devastated and I thought you cannot be serious I was absolutely shocked and this just reminds me that while we're absolutely fascinated with the macabre and all this crazy shit they're like real people yes here behind all of this shit um and yeah it's uh, an incredibly upsetting story through and through her whole life she was an agent of chaos like, there was never a time when she was just like, eh, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to, you know, relax. Not completely turn into a psycho for half my day. Uh, yeah, so I can't imagine what she's like in prison. What if she's your celly, man? I'd say the fuck away from her. I'd be like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I bet she's doing amazing in prison because of the structure you think? Yeah. You think she would actually like structure? She did good in school. Ah, uh, that's true. And she also did good at the slaughterhouse. Like, she was a good employee. So maybe that's it. God, yeah, she couldn't hack it in real life. That's for sure. But yeah, that's the crazy story of Catherine Nightman, Australia's most notorious, like, female killer. Good job. Thank you. The... David and David and John and John, that's weird. I know, isn't that weird? That's I thought so the same weird. thing. I was like, wait, how'd that happen? Was it intentional? Did she look for them or what? Did she, have you heard of that story before? I have, actually. You have? Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me what you've heard about it. All that and a bag of chips or what? All that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. I, I, I like the story in that it fits like this movie stereotype in my head but it also at the exact same time is horrifying and I just go why why would you do this like why I'm wondering if at a certain point it just became like she dissociated from reality and she just went into like a habit of what she did every day you know what I'm saying by that yeah ugh gross anyway please take us away from this moment yeah gross well You're going to love this. Am I going to shit myself? You just might. (laughs) Because we're going to talk about... Gosh, I hate it when I have typos. (laughs) (laughs) Is it that bad where you have to like look it up? Yes. Because just the one letter can make a difference. Oh, okay. Okay. Isabella Bumfrey. Okay. She was born around 1797. So I'm taking you way back. Oh, we're going back in the day. We're going back. Okay, what, what country are we in? United States. Okay. So this whole story can be, a, I'm not even going to use SP. It can be a trigger um, for some people. 
and I apologize, but I think this is a very important story to tell. Um, and she wasn't born in the town of Swartekill, New York, in Ulster County. Her exact date of birth is unknown because the dates of birth for enslaved people were not recorded. Ah, gotcha. She is one of as many as 12 children born to James and Elizabeth Bumfrey. James was an enslaved person that had been captured in what is modern-day Ghana. And Elizabeth, who was also known as Mau Mau Bet, was the daughter of enslaved people from Juana. We know Isabella as Sojourner Truth. Oh, shit, girl. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited you're doing her. Oh, go. So the Bumfrey family was owned by Colonel Hardenberg and lived and they lived at his estate in Esopas, New York, which is just about 70, 75, 95 miles north of New York City. Get fucked, dude. And the area had been under Dutch control from 1652-ish to 1664-ish. So both the Bumfrey family and the Hardenboroughs spoke Dutch in their day-to-day life. Mm. And in 1806, um, Papa Hardenborough passed away, and the disgusting nature of slavery is that the ownership of the Bumfreys then passed on to his son, Charles, yeah. Lake Furniture. Um, and again, get fucked, dude. It's just so appalling um, that I can't even play devil's advocate like I normally do. Yeah, um, it's disgusting. It, it was the 1800s, and... the I, I even wrote the 1800s can go fuck themselves. Pretty much. Um, so the Bumfrey family um, actually was separated, and nine-year-old Sojourner, I, is that how you say your name? Yeah, I've heard Sojourner. Sojourner? Sojourner. Yeah. Sojourner. Yeah. Was sold at auction with a flock of sheep for $100. And in today's money, that would be $2,237.73. I want to vomit. Yep. Her new owner was John Neely, and Sojourner called him harsh and violent. Mm. And so for the next two years, um, she was sold two more times and eventually ended up on the property of John Dumont in West Park, New York. Um, while with John is when Sojourner learned to speak English. And I estimated that she was about 11 or 12 years old at the time. Okay. Gotcha. So around 1815 is when Sojourner and a fellow enslaved person, Robert, from a neighboring farm, um, had a daughter together, Diana. So Robert's owner forbade them from having a relationship since any more children, um, as well as Diana, would be the property of Sojourner's owner. Okay, what the fuck? Wait, are okay. you kidding me? Oh, wait, so Sojourner, she had a child with this other slave robber, and then that baby essentially became the property of her master? Mm-hmm. Get fucked. I'm yes. just going to keep saying that, because that's fucking disgusting. Yes. Ugh. 
So, Robert and Sweet Joner never saw each other again. And um, so I'm assuming that means Robert never saw Diana again either. God, that's awful. His own kid. Like, (sighs) our country, man. So in 1817, John, the enslaver, Mm -hmm. um, convinced Sojourner to marry an elder enslaved person, Thomas. What? And the couple had three children together, Peter, Elizabeth, and Sophia. Wait, I'm sorry. Wasn't he just saying, like, he can't afford it? Did I mishear that? He, he can't afford children? Her, her enslaver was saying, you can't have kids or some shit. No, no, no. Robert. Oh, Robert. Okay, got it, got it. Robert's owner. That's interesting. As- because any children would belong to... Sir Joyner's owner. Got it. And Robert's owner would want to have the children on his property. property. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Because more people, more work. Right. I.e., I can be a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So, um... So she had three kids with this other guy that mm-hmm. she was forced to marry. Mm-hmm. Thomas. Okay. Mm-hmm. <sighs> wow. That's awful. So, in... 1799, um, the state of New York actually began to negotiate the abolition of slavery and emancipated all enslaved people on July 4th, 1827. Wow, that is like 40 years before the fucking Civil War. Mm-hmm. Nice. John Dumont went back on his promise to emancipate Sojourner in late 1826. Um, so, so she escaped with her, just her infant Sophia. Oh, okay. That's the only one she could escape with. Right. That makes sense. Small, Um, she can carry her. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter and Elizabeth stayed behind. I don't know what happened to Diana. Um, and not long after she escaped, she found out that Peter at five years old had been illegally sold to a man in Alabama. So what did she do? She went to go find his ass. She took the issue to court (gasps) and was able to get Peter back. What? This was one of the first times a black woman successfully challenged a white man in the United States court. Are you serious? I had no idea. And our court system actually uh, went her way? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. That's a big fucking deal. So freedom was not easy for her. Um, she converted to Christianity and in 1892 moved with Peter to New York City. And in New York City, she worked as a housekeeper for evangelist Elijah Pearson. Okay. Elijah Pearson, Pearson believed in God's direct interaction in the world in correlation to individual or collective sins. Uh oh. Um, she then worked as a housekeeper for Robert Matthews, who was also known as Prophet Matthias. Oh God. The prophet had a cult-like following and several aliases besides the two I mentioned, such as Jesus Matthias and Joshua the Jewish minister. <laughs> On a side note, just a few fun facts about the prophet. Yeah, please. He had converted. 
converted, I put in quotes, converted three wealthy businessmen to help fund his settlement he named the Kingdom. The settlement got tied up in adultery, bankruptcy, and murder <laughs> so that the so the prophet ended up in jail. He had a brief encounter with, fun fact, Joseph Smith, ah. the founder of the Latter-day Saints movement. I.e. Mormonism. Um, I really want to res- I really wanted to research that. Um, yeah. But that was a huge sidebar I didn't have time for. I mean, honestly, it does so... not surprise me that the prophet cult leader essentially ended up in prison over adultery and all this other shit it does not surprise me in the least i re- but i really wanted to like um look into his um encounter and his with joseph smith like how they met Mm-hmm. And like that whole entire yeah that whole situation like yeah. what they really had to do with each other right yeah but for I sure. was like that's a completely different story for right. another day <laughs> this is not the story I'm telling at this point yeah I'm like that'll get me way off <laughs> track like we we go on tangents but that would be yeah so not long after she switched households Elijah died and the prophet was accused of poisoning Elijah to benefit from his personal fortune. Oh, shit. And the Folgers, a couple within the cult, tried to frame Sojourner for the crime. Of course, because she's a black woman. Why Mm -hmm. wouldn't you do that? So the prophet was acquitted due to lack of evidence, but because he was not not a popular subject with the Penny Press, he moved to the West. Okay. Um, So the Penny Press was like this newspaper that was a penny and he was um basically like tabloidish got and, it you know and yeah he, they were talking and he was like i gotta go now yeah so are you sitting down <laughs> last i checked <laughs> in 1835 you know what she did you know what this Badass bitch did. Did she run for an office? She filed a slander suit against the Folgers um, who tried to frame her for the murder. Hell yeah, girl. Use that court system. Did it go her favor again? She won. Hell. Oh my God. I don't know what secret sauce she's, she's putting out there, but damn it. She a badass bitch. Yeah, she is. So, so Joyner and Peter had stayed together after she had rescued him from slavery until he took a job on the zone of Nantucket. It was a whaling ship, and um, she had received three letters from him between 1840 and 1841. Um, And in 1842, the ship returned to port, but Peter was not aboard, and she never heard from him again. And we don't know what happened to Peter. Oh, no. That's awful. I, I don't know. Yeah. That's another rabbit hole for another day. Lost in the panels of history or annals of history, whatever. Yeah. Did you say annals of history? No, I said a- annals. Annals? Annals? A-N- is A-N-N, right? I think. Annals of history? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. You keep going. Okay. So June 1st, 1942 is actually when she changed her name from Isabella Bumfrey to Sojourner Truth. Okay. 
and began devoting her life to Methodism and the abolition of slavery. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yes. And in 1844, she joined the Northampton Association of Education and Industry in Northampton, Massachusetts. This organization was founded by abolitionists, and it supported the broad reform agenda, including women's rights and pacifism. Yes. All the members lived on a 500-acre self-sufficient community. (laughs) Um, I wonder when I can move in. Yeah, seriously. And this is where she met many abolitionists, including William Lloyd Garrison, Frederick Douglass, and David Ruggles. Yes, yes, yes. Um, The community disbanded in 1846, but she did not stop advocating. Um, And actually, this is when her um, career as an activist and reformer really ramped up. In 1850, she spoke for the very first um, time at the National Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. And she began touring with George Thompson, speaking to large crowds about human rights and slavery. As the abolition movement gained momentum and her reputation grew, the crowds became larger, and she was just one of many escaped enslaved people who rose to um, prominence as abolition leaders. Others were Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, seriously, that's incredible. Like, just the whole thing is just, wow. So, May 1851, Joyner delivered what is known as her Ain't I a Woman speech. And this is her most famous speech. She delivered it at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention. Um, She is probably best known for this speech on radical inequalities, and it was actually improvised. Um, The first version was published a month later in an Ohio newspaper, the Anti-Slavery Bugle. Um, Ain't I a Woman was not even in it one time. The phrase didn't show up until 12 years later. Hmm. Um, And since Sojourner was from New York and her first language was Dutch, she didn't even use the word ain't which is a southern slang yeah it's like not it's not a real so it's not a real word in that so way someone just right. named it this interesting so this is what she said okay then that little man in black there he says women can't have as much rights as men because christ wasn't a woman where did your christ come from where did your christ come from from what god a woman man had nothing to do with him If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they is asking to do it. The men better let it, better let them. Oh my God, yes. Hell yes. So, believe it or not, even in abolitionist circles, Sojourner's views were considered radical because she sought political equality for all women Mm -hmm. and scolded the community for only seeking civil rights for black men. Whoa. Get it. Um, She openly discussed her worries about the movement ending once it had achieved freedom for black men and leaving both 
black and white women without suffrage and other important political rights. Oh, wow. So she was like, yes, it's great what you're doing, but you're going to leave out women. Yeah. Not just black women, but white women too. Yeah. That's incredible. So a black woman is fighting for white women's rights as well as her own. Yes. Y'all, we need to pay attention. So, um, and she didn't stop during the Civil War either. She helped recruit black troops for the Union Army, and she encouraged her grandson, James Caldwell, to enlist in the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. Oh, that's right. She's old by then, isn't she? God, I didn't think about that. She would be much older at that point. In 1963, she was called to D.C. to contribute to the National Wait, Freedman's? 19... No, no, 1863. Oh, I was like, damn, she made it that far. No, no, no. I was like, what? 1863. Shit. Shit, shit, shit. 1863, she was called to D.C. to contribute to the National Freedmen's Relief Association, and on at least one occasion, she met met and spoke with President Abraham Lincoln about her belief and experiences. Oh, yes, she did. Once Lincoln, Lincoln issued his emancipation proclamation um she did uh sojourner did stop didn't stop she still advocated for change in 1885 she tried to force the desegregation of streetcars in dc know what she did she wrote on the cars that were only for white people yeah yeah sound familiar rosa parks That was way before Rosa Parks. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So one of the big things that Sojourner fought for was to secure land grants from the federal government for former enslaved people. Her argument was that the ownership of private property, specifically land, would give um, black people self-sufficiency and freedom from any indentured servitude that they had towards wealthy landowners. Um, She pursued this for years and very aggressively but was never able to sway Congress. That was probably like the one thing she was never able to do. Right. Of all the things. Yeah, shocking. Make Congress make decisions? Yeah, they fucking suck. So um, she continued to speak about women's rights, universal suffrage, prison reform, and capital punishment until she just got too old to continue on. Um, She passed away November 26, 1883. And is buried with her family at the Battle Creek Hill Cemetery. Um, She is the original feminist and all-around badass. Yeah, she is. Dude, fucking awesome. I'm going to be real honest. I have heard of her, but my very whitewashed education did not go very deep into who she actually was or what she did. Of course they didn't. Because why would they? No, there's no such thing as critical race theory. That doesn't exist. Again, not getting political. We do need to learn every side of history. The good and the bad, everybody. Makes us better people in the end. But uh, yeah, no, fucking, that's incredible. I had no idea that she actually won court cases in the 1800s against white people. Not just one, twice, but two. That's incredible. And I love that she just wanted equality for everyone in the 1800s. Yeah. I still want equality for everyone in the 2020s. Agreed. Yeah, it's incredible. This woman has been fighting a fight that started 
pre her, she took up the, the mantle, you know, and then now here we are today and now we have more people taking up the mantle to like get it even farther. Like she helped move, make the movement get to where it could at the time. And then we're constantly like moving it forward. So damn, I didn't know that was her, her OG name. What was the last name? Bomfrey? Bomfrey. That's great. And her original name was Isabella. I like it. I like both their names. Beautiful. That's why I abbreviated it. Yeah. On Google Doc. Because <laughs> you were like, I can't, I can't, because you like buried the lead on this. We're like, I can't wait to tell you. I can't wait to tell you. And I'm like, okay. And then, I mean, but I knew it was going to be a good one. And damn, if you didn't pull it out. But bam, <laughs> mic drop. Yeah, seriously. Can't go anywhere else from here. No, no. Well, it was awesome, man. I have always had the hardest time picking my star mom. Me too. It, it, it's honestly like, not for a lack of, it's just like there's so many. It's like, where do I start? You know, which one do I want to do next? Kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I thought she was great and I just, I know this can be such triggering for so many people. Yeah. And then I also didn't want to use any wrong terminology. Sure. You know, yeah, you want to make sure that we're also being accurate. And I like, wanted to be respectful. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is, is like I think it's interesting how black women, like I said, is like fighting for white women's rights, and I feel like very much today, it isn't. <laughs> we as white women are not reciprocating, and so uh, it's definitely something that is top of mind for us. Mm-hmm. You know, in that. We stand in solidarity black women because for too long they have um, put up with some bullshit and been uh, lowest on the totem pole and damn. And then they do shit like this that they do not, that is not, they do not have to do that. Yeah. You know? So. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So thank you. I just hope I did her justice. I hope I did it respectfully. I, yeah, no, for sure. I think so. And and obviously, if y'all have more fun facts about her, please send them our way. I would love to learn more. Like, other little random details that people know about her. Incredible person. Like, would you have ever thought, like, in New York, Dutch was their first language? No. Honestly, I didn't know that little fact about the Dutch, specifically in the 1600s, being in that region. Originally, you know, I didn't know that that was like a thing. I, I knew like, I mean, the pilgrim story and all that shit from uh, England, but I didn't know that there was also like a Dutch community there. Oh, that makes sense though now. Now I think about a Pennsylvania Dutch. Well, yeah, I've heard of Pennsylvania Dutch and I associate that with Amish. Yeah, of course. Oh, I need an Amish murder. Oh, there are some. There's some good ones. There's actually a few good ones. Not women that I've seen, but I know two guys. Y'all hold on to your hat. I'm finding me an Amish murderer. <laughs> Please. That would be great. If you could find a, an Amish woman murderer, oh my God. Challenge? Right. Challenge accepted. All right. I like it. That'll be for episode tomorrow. No. Don't put me on that type of timeline. <laughs> You're fine. I'm working you got on this. a super secret special project. This is true. Super secret special project. We'll find out soon. Um, but besides that, this was a good episode. Way better than the last one. You think? Yeah. Girl, don't be hard on yourself. I think you did great. 
I think we should re-record it. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll be, I'll be over there taking a nap, laying down. Oh, you re-record your episode. All by myself. Exactly. I was like, you're doing good. I'm laying down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. <laughs> Woo, you're great. Oh, God. The wheels are coming up. Thanks, y'all, for listening. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.